Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So uh, we're back to talking about COVID-19. You know, we had that series back in March when uh, the whole world was being turned upside down. Um, and then we kind of got back on track with our usual health, health span stuff. But, um, but the, the fact is, uh, you know, COVID-19 continues to kill about 1,000 Americans per day um, with, with total deaths approaching 200,000. So, um, you know, disruption to our lives and the economy isn't as maybe severe as it was during the lockdowns in March and April period, but still pretty significant. We're, we're yeah. you know, far from normal. And hopefully this is not the new normal that we're, we're <laughs> dealing with. Um, and, and I know that, you know, or we see that with schools and colleges opening, there's definitely another surge in cases yeah. uh, across the country. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not funny, but um, the fact is, you know, the, the Northeast had its surge initially, and then it was the South and West as those States started to open up after that initial lockdown. Mm-hmm. And now it's migrated to the Midwest to, to your neck of the woods. Right. I'm not sure what drives necessarily that, um, increase in the Midwest because things have otherwise, you know, not really like we didn't have a big opening because we didn't have a huge shutdown. Shutdown. Um, Now schools going back is certainly driving it. Maybe we started, I don't even know. Maybe we start um, then other places because we were back in school um, end of August, mid to end August. Well, and maybe you're a little more liberal around that too, in, in terms of oh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. being in person versus virtual. Right. Right. Um, so that's probably part of it. Part of it. And, and t- to some extent you could say that, you know, um, y- you've almost got, you know, in, on the herd immunity scale, you, you're, you're closer to zero than a lot of right. the other places. So, um, yep. as things, as people just kind of generally get less cautious yep then you know the virus takes advantage of of those things so um and and you know as we as we head into fall there there are also fears that the flu season is going to layer on top of this COVID-19 situation and add a lot more burden so I'm curious in your practice are you you, have you started to see seasonal flu cases at this point we we have like in our urgent cares um and I had my first patient who I swabbed and tested for influenza that was positive. 
Um, so it seems a little bit earlier than we've seen. I mean, it's, it varies, you know, year yeah. to year, sometimes it hits. And again, this is obviously not the peak, um, but it's the start of flu season. So I kind of think that we'll probably have a little bit of an earlier peak than, um, the, maybe the last couple of years, I think last year, the peak was more like February, March, um, um, or no, maybe not March, maybe January, February. Um, but we were still seeing it, um, through April. Mm -hmm. So I think we might, it might be a little bit earlier this year. So still important for people to get their flu vaccines, I assume. Yeah, I am <laughs> definitely really important because you don't want to fight, um, coronavirus and influenza at the same time. And you don't want to give someone, influenza who might be at you know higher risk than you of a yucky infection because we worry about the flu every single year right and, take, and obviously the flu out of it flu kills people every single year Absolutely. and tens of thousands yeah. of americans everything every single year and yeah i think it's like 30 to sixty thousand, which is actually interesting you know because that's a lot um but in terms of this you know when you think about all of that talk at the beginning was it's no worse than the flu who was um, who was saying that I know, <laughs> was, right? Oh, I did. I didn't hear any of that talk. Well, yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe one person was say, saying that in yeah. particular. Well, a lot of people were. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. and to some people's defense, not not someone's defense, but to you know, when we didn't know the mortality rate, it was hard to judge. Right. You know, back at the beginning, but it's very clearly, you know, thirty to sixty thousand Americans die from the flu every year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we surpass that many 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 months ago are you hearing so, that this the strain of flu that's out there now is is any more uh virulent than is is normal or or are they predicting actually maybe an easier flu season hard to say until we start to see the strain a little bit more i think yeah. and they can study it a little bit more um no indication that it will be worse season than you yeah. know than any other i'm hoping that it's a little bit better because people are more careful so fewer people will get it. I think we'll see overall that fewer people are getting influenza this year compared to years. Just because of the mask wearing and the hand washing mm -hmm. and all, all mm -hmm. those good hygiene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, now we are hearing that effective COVID-19 vaccines are, are, are getting closer um, and, you know, will ultimately deliver us from this scourge. Um, now, you know, just like everything, it seems these days, um, this, this issue of when we're going to get the vaccine and how effective it's going to be, et cetera, has, has become very highly politicized. Um, mm -hmm. and there are fears that, that the Trump administration has accelerated vaccine development, uh, through that so-called called warp speed initiative at too fast a rate. Um, mm -hmm. And they're going to bypass safety protocols in order to deliver a vaccine before the election and to have an, a, a positive effect on the election. Um, now, that's, you know, by no means do I want to say that's the prevalent attitude or, or um, you know, concern, but, but it's but it's definitely been out there. I've, I've read, you know, numer numerous articles. So um, right. and, and I think it's pretty unprecedented that I think it was last Monday or Tuesday, nine drug companies um, took out an open letter in, I don't know, I don't know if it was multiple publications or just maybe USA Today or wherever it was, but open letter to the public pledging to follow science, not politics, which, you know, 
I, I can't yeah. recall the last time you've, you've seen that sort of, but you know, <laughs> right. so, so there's obviously a need to, to reassure the, the American population that um, it, the, 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 the uh, process is going to be guided, guided by science, primarily by science, not politics. Although I have to say that I take that open letter with a little bit of a grain of salt in that there's a big economic incentive to right. Um, to get these uh, these medications approved or these vaccines approved as fast as possible, which aligns right. then with the political incentive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you and and let's face it this this is this is kind of cutting edge science. There's probably some gray areas. It's not all black and white. Yeah, and so certainly. Um, you know, what's the counterbalance to those two very powerful, you know, kind of right. forces? There's going to have to be some some brave scientists that put up their hand if they're if if they're concerned. That, right. You know, right. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to it's hard to know what to trust and who to trust. I mean, I don't there is so much more um, politics in all of this than I ever thought um, i mean there's politics and everything but this has been a little bit eye-opening well and our, um, our you know our two primary institutions in this country the fda and the cdc have you know uh, made mistakes they they you know I, I i forget which one it was approved hydroxychloroquine as a treatment and then had to yeah. backtrack when studies indicated okay. it wasn't helpful and may, may actually hurt people right. Um, right and then the cdc um, I forget. Uh, oh, was you know kind of accused of manipulating some of its numbers and changing its processes around some things to, to... which that that is I I think a COVID conspiracy. Um, what you're referencing, so we'll be very careful. Right, <laughs> right, to... right, right, right. But yes, there's been there's definitely they there's been missteps, but those missteps um, I don't think are necessarily missteps because of poor um, judgment. I think it was an unprecedented time and there was, and we use like, for example, the hydroxychloroquine is used by tons of people every day with no downside. So you, in that, in that scenario, it's a risk benefit analysis and, you know, everything was crumbling. And then, but the CDC did struggle a little bit with the testing. Um, That's why we were behind the, behind the eight ball early on with testing because of mistakes that were taken. But then the government had a hand in so much of what happened early on and they are able to twist the, you know, twist the arms of the heads of these organizations. I think the CDC more so than the FDA. So, you know, they're, they weren't, they no longer had, you know, the autonomy that we thought that they had. And, um, right. So in many cases they're run by political, um, right. You know, appointees. Uh, so when I you, mean, if, the CDC is a government agency. agency. Also is the FDA yeah. for that matter. Um, right. So, and, and right. When you say the government, you, you're kind of saying the Trump administration, the right? White House, uh, yeah. yes. And yes. come right down to it. Cause it's all part of the executive yeah. branch of, of government. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that there's there's definitely been a, a uh, an ebb and flow to that, and and obviously that's that's why um, it's partly the reason those companies felt compelled to, to come up with that statement. So so, but let's it doesn't you know, this, do us any good. The vaccine does us no good if no one 
gets it. Takes it. Exactly. And there <laughs> is, you know, I've, I've read some things that, that up to a third of people are saying, hey, I ain't taking that vaccine. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering myself, you know, and I'm no anti-vaxxer, that's for sure. Right. But do right. I want to be in the first wave of people? Because to some extent, right. and, and I have, I have read that there, there needs to be extensive what they call post-marketing um, analysis of the effects because the, and there always is when they, when there's a new drug introduced, because you, you will find times that, that, that drugs are approved by the FDA released to the general public. So obviously a lot more people are taking them than we're taking them during the trial phases of it. Right. And, Oh, lo and behold, we got a problem with, you know, X, Y, Z. So, um, so that, you know, ultimately the, the, both from a safety and efficacy standpoint, you know, that's, that's ultimately going to be proven in the marketplace, so to speak, when, or, Mm -hmm. you know, in the general population, but, you know, this, this, podcast is all about kind of helping people kind of analyze the process and, and we're going to be hearing a lot so um so so help us with you know how many how many vaccines are in development because i get confused you know uh, throwing around names and i i think there are three that they're focused on primarily um and then they're in various stages so what what those stages mean and and, and maybe we should start off with I've, I've heard there are different types of vaccines being developed so What's, yeah, what's it's a big, it's a big topic. Um, so, in general, there are there's a lot of vaccines currently in development, and this is a race, a little bit of a race because it's going to be a huge financial, you know, right. gain um, to whoever gets it approved. None of them have come to full approval in the u.s um, at least. for for full use <laughs> right for full use three there's three that have been approved for early or limited use and i think those are those are like the russian the russian one the chinese one right. yep then there's 25 vaccines that are in the phase one there's 14 that are in phase two and there's nine that are in phase three um so what that means um you know when you make a vaccine there's a lot that goes into it and generally honestly it takes like five to ten years in a normal to like, right to fully to develop a, a well studied um vaccine that you have gone through all the different safety um and and that's kind of not for any it's just vaccines any kind of drug or treatment or whatever kind of takes a, a, long, time. a long time yeah so there's so first you have to kind of figure out how to create the vaccine, which obviously they did early on because they were able to um, get the genetic sequence of this particular virus um, and figure out how you need to target it to create a vaccine. Because what a vaccine usually is, is either an inactivated form of a bacteria or a virus um, or parts of the virus or parts of the DNA or you know, some, some low, um, volume thing that's specific to that pathogen that they, that, you know, gets injected and then your body, um, sees it, but it's not enough of it to make you sick, Mm -hmm. but it's enough of it for your body to mount a immune response and create antibodies too. So that when it sees the real thing, um, you don't get sick because your body fights it off because it's already got these antibodies, 
going around. So that's, that's the idea behind a vaccine. So you have to do pre-clinical testing first, where you have a new vaccine and you have to test it on cells first and then give it to animals. And usually that's mice and monkeys. See if it produces the immune response that you want. Um, because if it, if it doesn't, there's no sense in going forward. So that takes a long time because you got to like, you got to create it. And this is new. So this is a new, mm-hmm. uh, a new virus that they're trying to, to target. And viruses are usually tougher to create vaccines against because um, they change so much. They can mutate so quickly. Um, but once you get through preclinical testing and say, okay, it works, you give it to mice and monkeys um, and you see some an immune response and obviously the monkeys and mice aren't getting super sick. So you, you know, move on to phase one and the phase one of trials are usually the safety trials um, or they are the safety trials where you give it to a small number of people um, to test like immediate safety and dosage amounts and to confirm that it will cause an immune reaction. So you're doing a few different things. One, you're making sure there's no short-term immediate side effects from it and that it's safe and then you're also using the data to adjust to so you know the dosage you know that you need to give somebody in each vaccine to get the immune response um so that's that first you know the first trial that you do um in humans so but that's not looking at long-term safety obviously because it's so early so you do have to always think in the back of your head that we don't know what the long-term effects are of this, of a vaccine or of a drug just because it passed phase one safety trials. Cause those are for immediate kind of um, responses right, or right. side effects or adverse events. Um, but if you pass that phase, then you go to phase two um, expanded trials. And this is when the vaccine goes to hundreds of people um, and different groups of people, because you've got to make sure that it works with the children and the elderly and the, you know, different races and all this kind of stuff. You're not just giving it to a a random group. You have to kind of make sure that it's represented across the board. And then um, these are, so, so you're making sure it works in all the different groups of people, but also continuing to monitor safety and immune response. So it's the same kind of thing as one, it's just expanded. Um, and then for what's, what's happening now is a lot, of, a lot of these trials are being expedited and they're doing phase one and phase two at the same time. So you're kind of skipping the, the phase one and just give, starting out with phase you know, two. That hun- hundreds of people, yeah. And then phase three, that's when the vaccine goes to thousands of people um, and you wait to see how many people become infected compared with those who got a placebo. So this is efficacy trials where you give X number of people the vaccine and X number of people placebo. They don't know. um, They don't know which they're getting, they're blinded trials. Um, and you monitor to see, you know, ideally that more people in the group who got the vaccine are not getting infected or more people who got the placebo are getting infected than not. Cause then you know that you're, cause you're trying to establish long-term efficacy with this phase. Um, so you want to make sure in this case that it's going to protect you against the coronavirus. So you got the vaccine, you shouldn't be getting the we shouldn't be getting infected. And I would I think do. that 
either you need lots of time or lots of people in that phase three to have any level of confidence. Uh, Correct. It, or well, think about how, I mean, think about how long, you know, it could take to become infected. Like you, you also can't really like give them the vaccine and give them placebo and then give them COVID, put them in a room with well, COVID. Well, no, there's a them. name for that. I forget. What is that called? Because it's, that, that would be the, um, is it forced to something? It's, but because that is a form of a, of a study where they actually, you know, give some people placebo, give right. some people vaccine and then introduce them to the pathogen. Right. Right. Correct. And obviously that would, that would get you the quickest results, but it's somewhat unethical, particularly with a potentially deadly disease. Yes, it is not. A little bit unethical. It's very much unethical. Uh, unless you had, I wonder if you had. I read something though, but it, it, like if the vol, if you had volunteers that were willing to be, yeah, paid, there are yeah. actually there are there are. I think it was early on in Europe they were looking for people who are volunteer, like volunteers to you know in, get infected. I think for vaccine research. So right. I'm not sure if they're still doing that. Yeah. But I don't. I didn't hear. I, I didn't hear it went anywhere. So I assume you know yeah. if it, if it was actually a viable path, we would have heard about it if it was being yeah. used. And then so for these efficacy trials, um, the FDA has said that the vaccine would have to be 50% effective or have to protect at least 50% of vaccinated people um, in order for it to you know that doesn't that doesn't sound like a very high <laughs> threshold like i know but if you think about it compared to not having the vaccine half of half of the people who would have otherwise become infected are not getting infected i so, well, yeah I, I get you so it's so it's better than nothing but in it do you, you have got any 10 idea? people who are gonna get infected get the give the vaccine to all of them and now only five I of them get, get it, it. But do, do yeah. you have any idea what the what like the seasonal flu vaccine, how effective that is? Against? It changes every, every year. year. Um, so I can look and see if we've got. Yeah, um, I just wonder if it's like, you know, 70 percent, 80 percent. And I guess it, it depends on if they've yeah, if they've guessed at what the prevalent flu strain is in any any particular year. Um, so, so it looks like just in general, a basic a, a 2012 meta-analysis found that the flu vaccine was effective 67% of the time, okay. which is, that's pretty darn good. Two thirds. Right. Right. And that's it, just yeah. that one year. So it could, you could have some variability around that. Um, yeah. But I've also read, and, and now we'll kind of talk a little bit um, about this um, journal, the American Medical Association article um, that came out and it was written by a couple of these guys from um, the FDA uh, and I don't, by the way, I don't know if you can hear my dog barking in the background. We've got some people coming in. So I uh, apologize for that if you can. At any rate, um, so it was written by these, uh, these uh, FDA uh, scientists. And they noted, you know, that that threshold is 50%. But then they also said, and this gets a little technical, I guess, but uh, so, so <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but they said that uh, the 95% confidence interval must be greater than 30%. So right. I think what that means is that they have to, in addition to, to them kind of believing that the, the vaccine will be at least 50% effective, so, you know, one out of every two people that gets vaccinated is protected, um, that they really don't know 
kind of what it will be until they kind of roll it out there. And they got to be 95% sure that it's at least 30% effective. Do I have that right? right? Yes. Which seems really, really low, but I guess we're, 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 you know, this is all statistics and and numbers and and you've got to draw the line someplace. Yeah. So there's a, goes into it and usually there's not so much um there's not so much pressure you know but there's pressure from so many different um places when it comes to this because you know we're dealing with something that's caused a pandemic so it's just the general like safety for the people you know across the world but then it's also the pressure from you know for the economy and then the, the political pressures because the election happens to be coming up and Wow. Right. It's all coming together, kind of a perfect storm of of, of yeah. factors. Um, and there, there there really are legitimate safety concerns. Um, correct. I mean, um, you know, we, we have we have introduced drugs um, and, and and later found out. And, and I think the the you know, one of the most notorious was the thalidomide um, in the in the oh, 1970s, yeah. where they, you know, they're giving it to expectant mothers and then finding out that it caused these awful, awful birth defects in their children. Absolutely. The reason why we have phase three trials. So like the China and Russia, their vaccines that are approved, they they were approved without waiting for results of phase three trials. So it just, it kind of is a little bit nonsensical because there are, of course, you know, a lot of things that can potentially go wrong this is why we have this process well and it, it um, seems to violate the the you know the first tenet of the of the hippocratic oath of first do no harm exactly <laughs> yeah um now there's combined phases that we're doing now to accelerate the development um by combining like phase one and phase two um which kind of is like a compromise but if you don't if you can't establish that the vaccine is safe then like this expediting it and hearing that there's going to be a vaccine pushed out by October you know it's just it's crazy um it's crazy to to hear and see this stuff going on um because that's not the way the science of vaccine development works you can't right. put it put a date on that well and, and just last week and it surprised me so that I think it was AstraZeneca is one of those three it's Moderna AstraZeneca and Pfizer and there are other companies mm-hmm. kind of involved with those main main players um, but AstraZeneca had to, had to suspend its mm-hmm. um, its study for it's still suspended everywhere except Britain I think it's it's recommenced when one person out of tens of thousands of, of people that they're studying came down with this inflammatory reaction. They don't even, they didn't even know if it was related to the vaccine, but there was suspicions around it. Right. So one person yeah. with one condition that may or may not be related to the vaccine can actually put the brakes on the whole thing. Right. And it's tough too, because any, any symptom, any side effect, anything that happens while someone is enrolled in a trial for a vaccine or a medication has to be reported, right? right? So look on your, that's why I talk to patients all the time. Like they'll tell me that, oh, I didn't start that medication you prescribed because I read the potential side effects, um, you know, which it's good that they're looking. Um, but. <laughs> but, but I'm like, if you look on the insert for a medication, you will see every single side effect that there is. 
you could because if someone had a had diarrhea at any point in time while they were on a medication that was like undergoing trials, it has to be reported. Does that mean it came from the medication? No. And that's why they then, you know, will have, okay, less than 1% of people had diarrhea after taking blank. Well, less than 1% of people that's a risk, you know, you're willing to take because it doesn't mean that it was related to that medication and it's not that many and having diarrhea is not that big of a side effect if you did get it. Right. Um, but if you look, it's going to have your, because every single thing has to be reported. That's why there's also black box warnings on, um, a lot of like anti-depression medications, because when you start it, you can have a little bit of worsening symptoms potentially. But, um, you know, if anyone commits suicide while taking the medication, it has to be reported, right? So and we're say, dealing with depressed people to begin with. <laughs> exactly. So that's your, there's a higher likelihood, but you know, that's a big deal. So it has to be, every single thing is reported. So, and, but then once you have enough people who are, you're testing this vaccine or medication with, and you've gone through enough time to go back and do all of the statistics on it, then you can kind of parse out, okay, this is probably due to the vaccine because of statistics and, and how many people got this side effect or symptom. And this is probably not due to the vaccine. And it's that, that means it's probably safe. Right. But that takes a lot of people getting it a lot of time to let the appear and then to be able to go back and analyze it. So, so it really is, it, it really does become a cost benefit analysis when you're, mm -hmm. when you're saying, you know, okay, and and so and and I think it would be safe to say, you, traditionally we err on the side of caution, Definitely. and we say, okay, you know, we probably give up some people who could be kind of um, helped by, let's say, a vaccine, yes. in favor of not hurting anybody. You know, and yeah. it, 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 and it, so it's not just okay. Five people are helped. Five people are or four people are hurt, we're going to prove it. No, that, that's not, those, right. those odds don't, don't cut it. Um, and I think it's true to say in this case, given the overall societal economic impact, what have you, we're going to move that, we're going to move that threshold a little toward the more, the less cautious side of the equation than is right. normal. Right. Already have, definitely. Um, and I, I think in the end, then it, you know, as people have to make individual decisions whether to take the vaccine or not, it's going to be really important to inform people of the pluses and minuses here, because ultimately it's going to it's going to take it's going to take, you know, it's everybody's kind of personal cost benefit analysis right. that's going to determine, which is which, which implies that we're going to need really good, honest, you know, information exactly going forward which which you know we can we, we can argue whether we've whether we've can rely we, we've had that in the past so yeah. yeah but that's right it's a it's you have to do your own you can't just ask your doctor to give you their recommendation um you have to kind of do your own risk benefit because that's what i tell people too when they ask me can i go to my so-and-so's birthday party it's outside you know well you got to take into consideration what are your risks if you get it? What are the risks? You know, who, 
what are, who are the other people who are going to be there? Are they being careful? Um, what amount of risk are you willing, are you, you know, okay to accept because I can't make that decision. You know, I, you know what, you know what I see, Nicole is another podcast when, when we actually do get an approved vaccine around exactly that, that issue of, okay, you know, Exactly. Where where are we with the, that personal decision whether to get the vaccine or, or not? Um, and there, there's there's just so many other kind of unknowns, like you know how fast can it be manufactured and distributed? Exactly. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. So then then you have to mass manufacture it and distribute it, and then how do you distribute it? And so like we people don't appreciate what we have with. The influenza vaccine and what, because, what goes into uh, right? you know determining what that vaccine will be and then doing it every single year yeah yeah, yeah. having it flu season every single year i mean it's a it's a undertaking that's been pretty well it's now it's like a well-oiled machine, machine. yeah but it, you can't just if you just had to build it from scratch it's, it's a massive undertaking and, and then you have questions like, even if we, let's say we get, we get a safe, effective vaccine, we have questions like, will immunity last a lifetime? Mm-hmm. Will it last five years? Or like influenza, will it last just one year and you got to get vaccinated again? Will it last five months? Because oh. we've seen people get reinfected with new, new coronavirus, you know, about four to five months, like your, your antibodies are lasting, you know, four to five months. And a lot of these patients who have been studied, um, who have been reinfected. So, really? Is that, is that the current kind of consensus that, that... well, there's, not, I wouldn't say it's a consensus because there hasn't been enough, yeah, um, data studies around reinfection, but there have been people reinfected with a completely new, you know, their, their old infection was cleared. This is a new infection because they can look at the DNA. Um, and within four months or five months of their initial infection. And, and the, is there, a, is there any sort of knowledge around, is this a kind of as the, as the coronavirus mutated from that original one that infected so that it disguised not itself in, enough oh, to reinfect? Here that that's happening. Gotcha. Yeah. But that's an open question, too, as to whether it will. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Well, we I think, you know, we've <laughs> covered a lot of ground, but, you know, it, the more ground we cover it, it's almost like the, the, the more ground, you know, is, we, we find is uncovered. You know, we, yeah. we, we we're, we're finding out what we what we don't know. But um, well, it, like I said, we will revisit this subject because I think we're, we're likely to see a lot of developments in a short amount of time coming up. Yeah, good. Great. Good. Well, thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy Sunday. Uh, let you get back to your family, and I got a birthday party to uh, attend. So, right. <laughs> okay. So uh, I will get to that, and um, hope you have a great day. Love you. Love you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com. That's spelled T H E. D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, 
including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.